to episode six of the Board Game Gambit podcast. I'm your host, Nathan. And I'm Jackie. Welcome to A Card Table for Two. Today, we're going to talk about our favorite two-player card games. It was a lot of fun looking at the different card games that I own, seeing card games for two players, not card games that are more than two players, but can be played as two players. I also excluded things like Dominion, Love Letter, Guild All that I will mention because I think it works better with two, but still I didn't select it. And there was a lot. There was still a lot. I wasn't expecting that. I had in mind my top few and it was interesting to see how many games I play mainly with two in the card game Dominion. What have you played this week? Recently, we have been on a felt kick. We were looking at our age index and we noticed that Bruges was surprisingly close to the magic number, which is 38 right now. H index, for those who are into crazy statistics, is the number of games that you've played a certain number of times. So if you have an H index of five, it means you have five games that you've played at least five times. They could have been played 500 times but you have not a six game that has been played six times. Since I am deep into the game statistics hole, we look at that. So we got Bruges out, which is, as we mentioned a couple of episodes ago, one of our favorites. And so I got into a Feld mood and we played Bruges, we played Merlin and we played the Castle of Burgundy. Wow. Yes, it was a great, great week. The Castle of Burgundy and Bruges are really, really fast once you know it. Again, with two players, obviously, and they fly by. Merlin plays pretty quickly. Yes, not as quickly as the others, but it was quicker than I thought. And it works better with two than I thought. I think I had played it once with two. So for those who haven't played it, Merlin takes a rondelle mechanism on which you move through dice. So you roll three dies of your color and one white one and basically with the three of your color you move your singular piece clockwise on this rondelle with the other you move a shared piece with other player it's completely competitive so if they move it they change your option so you want to time it so that you take the action at the right point and you do a bunch of stuff you collect dice manipulation powers you control territories there is an area control and you have an influence area majority and that i expected not to work with you but it wasn't that important the end. So did you play the base game or did you add any of the modules? We don't have the queenies. I had looked into them when I was at PAX and I didn't want to make the environs, which is this optional thing where you can build a castle on a territory and you're competing for majorities and this part is fine, but you're also gaining a benefit when you place on certain spots. There is a queenie that expands it to all of them. And I didn't want to make that even more prominent. But we did try the included extra module, the King's Favor. Oh, yeah. Did you like it? Yeah, it was absolutely fine. It was actually enjoyable. But I was expecting a little more. It is a sizable board. It comes with a section of the rules dedicated to that. And it wasn't all that. Basically, in the game, you complete missions, which are very short-term objectives. And you could potentially complete one every turn, although that would be very hard. Have you played with that? I have not. I often teach it when I'm playing it with people. I feel like a lot of times it's their first game, so I don't want to overwhelm them with things to think about. Which was the reason I never used it before. Going back, I might have chosen to just teach it. It's really elementary. So when you score these missions, which ask you for having certain stuff or having certain statuses on the board. They have a category, and when you score them, you can choose to renounce the points of one, two, or three points out of a 
80 to 100 winning scores usually. And you can renounce those points to unlock ongoing special abilities, which sounded cool, sounded interesting. And then it wasn't all that, meaning the very powerful one, if you renounce a three, they give you a one time per scoring. So three times in the game, if you do it early, double action, but you have renounced a mission and others give you from now on missions of this kind that worth one extra point. So you do it and you renounce the point that that mission would have given you. And then maybe you do it three or four times. So all of this expansion adds a handful of points and a couple of actions throughout the game. So you might as well teach it, but at the same time, I don't know if it is... If it's necessary? No, no, it's definitely not necessary. It was fine, but not only it wasn't particularly significant, I didn't feel like the game played any differently, but not in a good way, not in all they didn't subvert the game it was more where i don't understand why go through the trouble of designing this little thing and then saying this is an extra module then either leave it out or put it in the basic system of the rules also because when you look at the missions there are these icons that are only used for this thing and people ask oh so i can only do this with this it was a little weird but the game was really solid it's colorful it's beautiful it doesn't go too long and i really really like it i know that not everyone liked it it's not a feld only design it's feld and raniac they are two of my favorite designers i mean feld has a portfolio that is maybe larger at least in my collection but raniac is the guy who did pillars of the earth and wood without end which i both really really like so it was great breaking it up again has it been long since you played it last it's been a while i've done it for my board game a day challenge which I haven't mentioned apparently in episodes yet, but my Instagram is millions of meeple. I play a different board game every day and take a picture of the end of what it looks like. The only ones that I modified that for were Chronicles of Crime, so that way it wouldn't spoil things for people. Also, the most recent one that I did yesterday was Undo, and that is all about the cards. Have you played Undo before? No. Is it an actual discovering things or is it more of a puzzle game it's a little weird it's definitely a one-time only game like you play it once and then you're done with it but there are all these different places and little clues underneath them so you go to different times and you are trying to make good decisions to prevent this person's death you are getting information from the little clue card and the thing that i feel like a lot of people don't particularly care for is you don't have any information other than a date of what time you're jumping to and the clue underneath and there are 12 or 13 different times and locations but you only get to go to nine of them and then these little clue cards underneath there's one at each location again so 12 or 13 of them and you only get to look at four of them so it's kind of when do you want to use this do you want to go to this location and i feel like it's a good game at two players. I feel like any more than that and people would just be sitting around, but Scott and I enjoy having an active discussion about where we want to go or what actions we want to take because it's a scenario and then it's a choose your own adventure, like multiple choice sort of deal. Based on that, you either positively affect the outcome, meaning you're helping to prevent his death, you don't affect the outcome, or you negatively affect the outcome, which in terms of game, that's a little weird, like wording. Which one you played? We played Undo the Cherry Blossom Festival. I bought all three of them that were available at Gen Con last year. This is the second one that we've played. We like them. They're fun enough, you know, to do 
one time. I wouldn't ever want to go back to revisit a game of it. It doesn't interest me to go back and do it again. But I guess it got a lot of flack because the whole game is the story. Why can't you see the whole story? Like, why do you have to pick only certain things? Oh, fair enough. I find very weird the description. This title isn't about solving a crime or catching a murderer. Instead, players must embrace the role as disembodied destiny weavers to go through the past of this man's travel to prevent his death, which sounds like a very technical description. I'm not into this kind of new agey approach, but that's not with the game. That's with the wording. So the game might be fun. I don't know. I would like to try one of these and they have very different themes, it seems. so. Yeah, I can definitely give you one of them. But circling back to your original question, I played Merlin very early in my Board Game a Day challenge, and I have not played it since, so it's been a while. Well, still in a few months. I mean, there are games that go unplayed for years, so you remember it freshly. So for me, it had been a little while. This is my sixth play of it, so not one of those that I've played dozens of times. But it is really, really different. You have so many small term goals there is not so much that you can do in terms of long-term strategy it's a very tactical game but i enjoy it i find it different from other fell games the way the dice are used mainly i think it's very visually striking too which i feel like sometimes can overwhelm people because there's so much going on but the iconography is very clear once you understand it absolutely and i find actually the board very charming very attractive it got criticized quite a bit because people felt you don't have enough dice mitigation, which it's true in Merlin, you don't have workers that can change the faces up one or down. You have a few flags that allow you to interact with the rondelle differently, like you can turn a die from one side to another, or you can move differently, but they are a little harder to acquire. There is also an apple that you can use to change a die to any face, but they are very hard to get. They take a full action. So it's true that that kind of mitigation is not as present as in other games. However, one thing that I think works very well and that people completely ignore is the interlocking mitigation. Because just by choosing the order in which you use the dice, that changes completely which actions you're ending up on, which is not true for other games. So I do feel I have a lot of control about what I do in this game. Me too. I think that the way that you use the dice is smart and the shared Merlin die is always fun to watch someone's hopes and dreams <laughs> die as you take Merlin and, and move him away from the direction that they were trying to go. Yes, and I do understand, for example, that Merlin, you cannot do much. The only way to modify a Merlin die is this hard-to-get apple. At the same time, the very fact that you can move Merlin even just to take options away from your opponent is tricky and it's interesting. Uh, oh, by the way, on the topic of taking it away from your opponent, the fact that we are playing a lot of games in two players has given back the old discussion about why don't you focus on doing your own points rather than ruining mine, which is, of course, a natural part of two-player games. But in, in yours in particular, it feels like sometimes you could simply focus on getting more points. But the more efficient thing is, oh, I can get eight points or I can prevent you from getting 12. And obviously that's the better choice, but it leaves sometimes 
a bad taste because until someone calculates it, it feels like you have chosen to damage them rather than rising your own score. And then you have to point out, yes, but this is technically worth more comparatively to me because I'm not racing to a score, I'm racing to a higher than the opponent's score. And that's interesting in all of felt games, like choosing the color you need in Bruges or choosing the tile you need in Castle of Burgundy. In Merlin, that's not as prominent. You cannot do as much to just stop someone else from doing something. And that's also something that can be welcome to people. A game that I played, which I was surprised that I got this motivated to undertake, was Barrage. Oh, yeah. Barrage is by Tommaso Battista and Simone Luciani, and it's from Cranio Creations. It is a beast of a game. (laughs) So what you're doing is you're building dams, conduits, and powerhouses around the board and trying to harness the power of water that is flowing down from the mountains into the plains. So it goes through three different sections of the board and you're trying to harness the power of the water that's coming and use it to make power. So I played it, unfortunately, solo. Oh. Because Scott was not, he was not willing to undertake this time commitment so not only did i have to learn myself how to play i also had to figure out how to use the automata which is not hard it's a very smart automata so like we're building different things around the board and so the automata says okay i'm gonna build a dam or i'm gonna build an elevation and it gives you then on the back side of all the tiles are criteria. So it lists wants to be near something that they already have built, or they want it to be next to anybody's dam or next to a neutral dam. So it's kind of cool to see the criteria narrow it down into one location on the board. So that was kind of cool because it felt very sophisticated, but it was very cumbersome for my first game. So I had both sets of rules going back and forth. It's worker placement. You're building things. And the way you build things is on your own board, you have little spots for workers and you are using the resources, but you're not forever using them. They're just sort of like tied up and they go into a rondelle, which you spin kind of like Macau. Mm-hmm. So you're putting the things into this section, but you don't get them back until they come all the way around. I really liked the mechanism of it. I thought it was smart. It was very different. Even though I say it's like Macau, you had to place a specific tile for what you're building and you had to put the specific things into this tile. So there was a whole section on the bigger board for just spinning it. You placed workers onto the section to spin been it i really liked it i would be excited to play it with other people it did not take as long as i thought it was going to take i mean it took me a very long time to play it time wise but once i understood the actions it was very straightforward and very intuitive as to what i was trying to do so as you know as I mentioned before simone luciani is one of my favorite designers he's part of this akitoka collective working with different people he has done with Tashini they are behind Soul King which I really really like and Council of Four which I think it's a very solid game and the Voyages of Marco Polo which personally didn't work for me but is a very very popular game but then he has also worked on a bunch of games that we have mentioned before Newton, Gaddosti Hotel, Lorenzo il Magnifico a lot of very very good games that I like quite a bit and even Marco Polo I didn't hate it uh, this one scares me a little bit because it seems <laughs> they went heavily on a special and negative 
interaction. And I personally have a problem with mixing my euros with special elements. And vice versa, I can see how the negative interaction, the blocking people from one thing or another, would be maybe too much for many people, including most of the people I play with, Anna, Ryan, and Rachel, that might not like that very, I need to stop you from doing things kind of approach. That's why I shied away from it. I preferred going the way of Taramara, as you know, but I would be curious about seeing it. I don't know, especially now that you say that it's probably not going to be too long once we know it, that would be great. Going through the Taramara page, I opened this Akitoka, which was from a game where Tashini was involved. And they mentioned four people were not Tashini or Luciani, but a bunch of games from these two people are with people from this collective. So it's weird. I am trying, I know it's not relevant to the game, but it drives me nuts that I cannot understand what the deal is with these people. (laughs) I think that the game is very smart and I think that it is definitely going to be one of my favorite heavier Euros. It just felt like everything you were doing had a purpose and it was just a lot of fun. And it was funny, Scott was looking at the setup. So it took me a while to set it up because I didn't know what the things were and I wanted to make sure that everything was set up correctly. So I was doing that and there's like five boards i had to play on my table with both leafs extended so he was like you're playing a solo game with this much like going on i was like oh yeah yeah i am (laughs) yeah that doesn't help even visually i guess they are coming out luciani not with tashini but they're coming up with golem soon which explore their dice thing so this is more reminiscent of a time planning with the Tzolkin inheritance, right? I know it doesn't have the wheel, but the fact that you are trying to plan where things will be when you will get your things running. Am I correct on that or am I completely confused? No, that's right. You have different things that you can do including placing water droplets that will come down at the end of the round. There are options to place water droplets and have them run right away. There are jobs that you complete based on how much energy you're producing. It's a lot of things, but I feel like once you understand it, it makes sense and it's clear. I didn't ever feel like I was confused with the rules once I fully understood them. And graphic-wise, how do you find it? I'm not talking about how beautiful or not it is. To me, it doesn't strike me as particularly beautiful, but that wasn't what I was thinking. In terms of clarity, like it looks like very busy, but I also see tracks on the left that could be, I, I'm just looking at the board right now, uh, okay. that could be somewhat clear, I guess. It doesn't seem too confusing. How did you feel it was on that regard by playing it? The only thing that I wish was clear, and it's not even a thing against the game, it's a thing for me, and maybe it will be clear as I play it more, but the thing that was the most difficult for me to conceptualize was how the water came down from the top, which, I mean, is a significant thing. The water runs along these rivers, and they continue that way unless they're stopped by a dam. And the dams can only hold so much water, and if they don't stop it from the dam, then they keep going, or they overflow from the dam and keep going. But the thing that made it a little confusing was, so the dam is connected to a conduit, which is connected to a powerhouse. That's how you process the water. And so sometimes they went up, like how all of it is coming down, 
sometimes they went up into the side instead of down, mm-hmm. which was a little confusing at first to see. The connections between the conduits and the powerhouses and the dams, they do a fine job with it already. They have little arrows. They even color code the different ones so that you know okay, this one creates a lot more power than the other ones. Okay. In that regard, it's clear. I think it was just me not having played it and not truly understanding the concept when I started the game. (laughs) Not truly understanding what I was trying to do. So I think that might have been my own doing. Assuming, of course, that you were not limited by the situation, would you think this would be a game that you could play often or is it more, uh, oh, I would like to try it with more players and maybe play it a couple of times a year? No, it has some variable setup. It has individual player powers. And then you have specific engineer that gives you a different power on top of that. So it's kind of like Scythe in that regard. It has a main board, which has you know certain things set on it. And then it has the sideboard which interacts with the main board differently so there are strictly good combinations and there are bad combinations of those so i feel like that would be a lot of fun to try and see how the different ones interact with each other and i really hope to get it to the table more mm-hmm. so does it exist in two versions or are these nice pieces that i'm seeing custom made what nice pieces i want nice pieces <laughs> How are your droplets made? They're wooden. Okay, so yeah, this is probably a custom thing. I I was looking at stuff. Uh, (laughs) I was looking at pictures because I don't own the game. And I was seeing Raising Sculpted, I think, droplets. And those are very nice. And I was wondering if they were in the game. But the pieces look nice. The wheels I'm not enamored with, but everything else looks nice. Okay, I have one last thing, which I played yesterday night very late we made a mistake and ordered barbecue way too late um, <laughs> it came at midnight it was a weird experience but while waiting for it we were playing dungeon roll have you seen it maybe we played it once this would be perfect for your one game a day thing first because it's much more fun than all of those roll and write that you have been playing <laughs> uh, and second, because it's very cheap, so I think it's easy to find around. I don't know if it's still in print, but even if it's not, I, it pops up on eBay and things like that for cheap often. So you assemble an adventure party and you go into a dungeon, which means you roll seven dice that have symbols. And then that's your resources for this dungeon run. And the other player or one of the other players you can play it with up to four, but you could potentially play it with up to a hundred. And since you have no interaction whatsoever at all with the other players, um, they roll one black die and you have to kill or resolve the black die. Then they roll two of them and then they roll three of them and so forth and so on until you either bust or decide to stop or you go out at level 10. And so obviously with seven dice, your dice tend to run out, but There are treasures that you can get that can give you virtual dice. There are potions that you can use. So some of the black dice have three negative faces, two faces that are positive actually for you, and one that is negative but delayed. So you can still keep going is the dragon growing in power. And so it's interesting. It's fun. I am not good at it, but it's nice how it's such a simple game can give you some 
excitement in terms of, oh, I can use this very minor ability of mine once, or I keep pushing and, oh, that makes no sense. Why are you doing it? And then you roll for them all of the right faces and they triumph and it's it's fun i vaguely remember that yeah and then you like that dice games so you should you should like that i do i do like dice games <laughs> the last one that i have to talk about was sushiro yeah i saw that that looks fun it's so cute it's like sushi go and sushi go party where instead of cards you are passing dice back and forth and there's different ways to manipulate them where you can re-roll certain dice if you want you can even take a die off of someone else's tray which got really mean in two players <laughs> scott was like why did you do that i was like because it made the most sense so so what I did was there was a die that I wanted and it was on my tray. So I could have just taken it, but there was also an exact one on his tray. So what I did was I first rolled mine to make that face go away. And then I took his. Mm -hmm. So he was like, that was so mean. Why did you do that? I was like, it makes the most sense though. Like, why would I just give us both the opportunity to score the same amount of points? I like the custom dice that they made for this game. If people like Sushi Go or Sushi Go Party, this is definitely one to check out. It's by Phil Walker Harding and from GameRight. I feel like stealing someone sushi from their plate would be very dangerous in real life too i, I can see people getting very annoyed. especially if it's turks yes turks <laughs> one of the first things we did so when you and i met we played games for a week and then we went for sushi basically and that was turks and it was great okay so do you want to move on to our topic for today sounds good so when we decided to talk about to play your card games. It was in a way a limitation of where we're trying to find a topic that was manageable but yet stimulating enough. And I tried to think to choose what to include and what to exclude. Why to play your card games? So for me, the reason was to explore in thinking what games I like. The design space where you know that everything you're building is directly influencing one other person or yourself. And also, therefore, the reaction can come only from one side. It's a clear, contained design, which I think makes for an easier design space to imagine. But at the same time, you need to make it interesting because interaction among the players is a little limited. You only have one other player with whom you are interacting. So if you mess something up, it's much harder for table interaction to fix it. And that's why, as you were saying before, I excluded a bunch of games that work very well at two, but they are not meant to be played just with two. Take, for example, Dominion that we have been playing a little bit together. Well, we had been playing before the quarantine where it works very well at two, but clearly there are cards that their incremental advantage is meaningful because it hits a lot of people. Most of the attacks, when you do it to multiple people, it seems a better return of investment than when you do it to just one person. And so the game is not complete, maybe, when playing at two. Or Love Letter, Dead Man Draw, they are so easy that you don't lose much of the complexity with two, but they're not designed with two. What's that the reasoning behind your excluding the not strictly to player ones or did you include some i didn't include any because 
I wanted to think about games that were strictly two players to sort of limit it down because I felt like if I didn't do that, it was going to be a huge, huge, huge list. It already was a very large list of the two-player games, but it felt like I would have had a much more difficult time trying to narrow down a list. Yes, indeed. The one exception that I wanted to bring up transcends it's strictly different when played with two than with more. It's not probably my favorite game either way, but it's Guildhall. Have you seen it or played it? I have not. So Guildhall is a very simple idea. You have nine, I think, sets and you use six, or you, maybe you have six in the base game and there is a another that you can combine you got down to six or something like that and each of these sets have a very simple effect they come all from the same deck but it's an effect that grows in power with the more you have the story unless you get what the top card from the discard pile but you have a, if you have at least three historian when you play it then you get to look at three cards and pick one and if you have five historians you go through all of the discards and pick the card you want something like that and others you can steal a card at random from your opponent and or look at your opponent and steal a card something like that depending on the power the problem with this is that since you're trying to build sets to score each set comes with multiple cards of multiple colors and if you can get one of each color there are five colors for each set you can score the chapter and that's how you win the game after scoring a few of those and the problem with that is that when played multiplayer it's supposed to be one of those very interactive i choose who to attack depending on how they are doing but since you need to get these freaking colors not just to score but even to be able to grow your actions for example i cannot steal a blue historian from you if i already have one when you play with three or four it ends up being nathan is winning but i cannot take his blue historian because i already have a blue historian and this red hunter i already have a red hunter therefore i will have to take it from you scott even if in that moment you are scoring a lot and scott is low on numbers so that was an exception where i think the two-player game again because of that natural constriction makes it much better but i needed a rule so i still disqualified it because it can and is designed to play with more as well. Was there anything that you reluctantly excluded? Parade. Oh, do you like Parade at 2? I really like Parade at 2. I don't know if I have ever tried. I like it because the one rule that changes, so in Parade you're trying to not get cards and the lowest score wins. It's like set collection because if you get cards you want to have the majority of a particular color to be able to flip them over and count them as one instead of what's printed on their face, which is zero to 10. And I like it because the majority, you have to have at least two more than your opponent. It's a lot harder to sneak out a majority win. I would love to try it. And the other axis of exclusion for me was, well, Tarji, I felt that it could be a board game with tiles or cards placed on it. It uses cards to make the board and then you place workers on it. So I didn't feel like it was really what we were looking for when thinking of a two-player card game. And then the same I did with Codenames Duet because there are cards, but I feel, again, that is not the playing the card that makes the game. But one that I wanted to know your opinion about, I also excluded Onitama and Watergate. And I know that you don't like Watergate or you're not interested in playing it, but those kind of games where the cards are a very important part of the game, but they are still directed to create a position on a board 
Onitama, I tend to compare it to chess. And Watergate is a card-driven system, it's called, but it is very much about achieving a certain status on the board. So how do you feel about those? Yeah, I feel like those aren't technically card games. I do enjoy Onitama. I own that. It is a lot of fun, but I don't feel like it fits in with our category today because it's more of a mechanism in the game versus being a strictly card game. Not like all of the games that I ended up including have no physical components other than the cards, obviously, but it is more or less an intangible dimension of how much of it is on the cards or how much comes from the cards or is it supported by the cards i think that was the line and it wasn't an easy line for me to define so did you make a list of your quintessential ones i did make a list and i won't go into my usual cheating of mentioning too many things as honorable mentions i have a list of three that i think are the best card games for me at the same time i would like when we're done for us to mention a few that we considered because i think there are some great games some of which you introduced me to that deserve to be mentioned in general without ranking them without saying oh this edges out this other but why don't we get into our top three sounds good so for me my number three is blood of an englishman oh so that is from dan kassar by renegade game studios this game takes on the fable of jack and the beanstalk and one person plays jack and one person plays the giant jack is trying to build beanstalks up and top them with a treasure the giant is trying to catch jack by getting fee fi fo fum either all together in one stack or on the front of four different stacks it's a game smart with the way that it pits a classic two-player sort of narrative and made it into a game it's a story that most people know and the different ways in which you interact with things is thematic because Jack is moving little things around and the giant comes and can move a whole chunk of a pile. It is strictly a card game. There are no non-card components. And I really like the game. I played it before and got my first win ever as Jack. So that was a lot of fun. Interestingly enough, we, in our experience, find the giant harder to win with. So it's great to hear different experiences. I really like the game for what it is, but I don't mean it in a negative. It's not like, of course, it cannot be better. It's the opposite. It plays in 10 minutes once you know it. It is teachable to people who are into regular card games because Wiley doesn't play with a regular deck of cards. The cards have numbers. There are no cards that have special abilities or out-of-turn events. Is I take my turn and I move cards around and then you take your turn and you move cards around. It reminds people of the computer solitaire and it's always both sides feel like they will never be able to make it because as jack you feel your options shrinking and the giant's options growing but vice versa with the giant you know that is a long shot so while your chances do increase throughout the game jack inches is closer and closer to victory and I think it's the simplest asymmetrical game I know. It's really different playing Jack or playing the Giant. But again, in a 10-minute game that plays with what a deck of 50 cards. And when we think of asymmetric games, we think of things like a Star Wars Rebellion or big games, multiplayer, many different sides. While this is straightforward to players, just 50 cards, 
and yet playing one side or the other is completely, completely different. Yep, I really think that the gaming experience is different depending on which character you're playing. And it is, like you said, very simple. So it's one of my go-tos if we're struggling to find something at a game night, usually like in between games. Okay, my number three is... I mentioned before liking it quite a bit, Seven Wonders Duel, which is by uh, Antoine Bauza and Bruno Catala. And the art is Miguel Coimbra, which I looked up and I'm not surprised that I like the art. It's in some of my favorite games, not just Seven Wonders, Seven Wonders Duel, but Sickledy, Small World, and it's in other popular games like Zombicide or the others by Simon. Seven Wonders Duel, without going into too much detail, we have talked about it before. You build a pyramid of cards that you take alternatively, so it's a drafting game. It has different avenues for victory. You have a lot of direct interaction, so it has that Euro feeling of I'm building my engine and I'm building my kingdom, but at the same time, it's very much in your face. I can win by invading your capital. I can take the card that you need. I can hate draft. Even when I'm building regular cards, I have to keep an eye on what you have because that determines the cost for me. So I think it does a lot of things that are crucial to the two-player experience. You can see both the hand of Kathala, which gives this wit. These games are always a little unique. Abyss, Five Tribes, Cyclades, Jamaica. And at the same time with Bowser, he has explored a way to bring new games to life. Going from Seven Wonders to Seven Wonders Duel was a really good pivot, but he's also behind games very diverse. And both of them combined in my opinion, to provide a very good experience. I disagree that is necessarily a port of Seven Wonders. It is actually a game that uses some of the same mechanism to deliver a very different experience, but I really, really like it. Yeah, it's a good game. I really enjoy it as well. I have not played it with the expansion as you have. That might have made it make it into my top games but the base game it feels a little repetitive to me i don't know if that's because of just my own feelings towards it or if it's how the gameplay actually goes i feel like i played it ad nauseum to the point where i was like okay well there's this card left that we can't see oh sure now i think that knowing what cards are coming is definitely a part of the game. It doesn't hide the fact, for example, that there are two of each resources of the regular ones in the first age. And the science cards are A, B, C, D, A, B, C, D, E, E, F, F as the distribution to the three ages. And knowing that is actually crucial to playing the game well. I have played it a south of 40 times now. I still find it very deep, very interesting. To be fair, if someone is not particularly satisfied with the gameplay or with the replayability of it, I don't think the expansion is going to solve that because the expansion doesn't add, for example, new cards. It builds on top of the pyramid. It adds a couple of choices. But still, if someone feels it's too repetitive for them, I don't feel like the expansion is going to fix that. So while I really, really think the expansion is a good expansion, well-designed, it's not a game-transforming expansion as, say, the Mountain expansion or the Valhalla expansion were for Champions of Midgard. It adds layers to a game without opening up necessarily more variability. It also might be that I don't particularly care for Seven Wonders. Not that I don't like it. It's never something that I would offer up as an option to play. True, but I think the two games are different enough that, for example, I have played with people who 
like Seven Wonders and hated Seven Wonders Duel. And vice versa, I know of many people who didn't like Seven Wonders and play Seven Wonders Duel regularly. So while it is the same theme and they even imported some mechanisms, for example, the way the Wonders work is reminiscent of Seven Wonders. But I do think they are different enough that people could like one a lot and dislike the other. For me, they're both good in my book, but that's just me. Okay, so my number two goes to another game that I've mentioned before, which is not surprising because I'm trying to choose my favorite ones, which is Summoner Wars. We have talked about Summoner Wars in terms of multi-use cards and how I didn't think that was a specifically important example of that. But Summoner Wars as something that I treasure in many card games, which is extreme replayability despite coming with a big mounted board is also very portable i have played it throughout asia when we were backpacking the one game we had was this eight by eight inches box with six decks and a paper map and there are now 16 factions plus you can mix some of them they have announced an upcoming second edition which i don't think i will get into because someone worse for me is everything that i need it to be you get a faction that is completely unique and every one is completely different from all the others it comes with a summoner with a special power basically your main character and if you lose that you lose the game and it's not like chess you need to capture it you need to attack it and kill it with dice cards in your hand provide you with units and events and champions and you play them on this very simple grid each unit can move two spaces and attack either in melee or at the range of three each unit has an attack value and you roll the dice and you try to hit the opponent's units the interesting part of the game comes in that every unit has a specific power some of them are repeated across different copies of the same unit but each unit in the game has unique power simply by matching against a different faction the strategy completely changes even for your faction so if you are fighting against someone particularly fast you might want to use your big guys to protect your summoner and ping them with range units but when you use the same faction against someone who is instead gaining power in time you need to rush them and how you deal with that is basically the core of the game and with 16 faction that makes for a lot of combinations and therefore a lot of replayability and on top of that even playing the same factions one against the other as it was i think in the first version of the game it came out with a box with just two factions we started with a bigger mustache set that came out later but even people got enamored by this so i imagine that even just playing the same two factions again and again would give you some strategy perspective and it's really great i have no idea how available it is i haven't checked on that it's by colby douch of play that games and it's a great great game yeah i would be interested in playing it more i haven't played it in a while i remember it now now that we've talked about it a few times i remember liking it and i think it has the added bonus of me not being very good at it (laughs) so people like playing it because i tend to crash and burn i tend to lose focus i have this very long term plan okay i will take control of this side of the board and all of a sudden my summoner is dead so (laughs) so my second game is dragonheart by rudiger dorn and published by cosmos 
This game is a hand management game where you are playing to different areas to activate different locations. But of course, as you activate a location, your opponent can activate a location which takes the cards that you just played. So basically, you're trying to go back and forth and get as many points as possible so that in the end, I don't know, the, the story of the winning is a little convoluted to me. It's just points. <laughs> but oh, like, yeah. if you're the red team or something, then the dragon lives forever or something. I don't know. Wait, there is, <laughs> there is something like that? I had no idea. Yeah, you, yeah, you didn't know that? No. I want to find it now. I actually played that yesterday. So Dragon Heart for us is a travel game. We have played it in in airports, we have played it at Boston South Station, we have played it on a flight. Because while it comes with the board, you can play without. Once you know the game, it's very easy to play it because the only thing that the board shows is how certain cards need to be played a certain amount of times before they are scored and how certain cards allow you to take other kinds of cards, but you could play it with just piles on the table. And for being a game this simple, first, the components are great. The artist by Michael Manzel, who did a great job on the board and on the cards, and it comes with a little plastic dragon. I find it very fun also because it really plays. I think the average for our games is between six and seven minutes. Yesterday, I surrendered in rage when my dwarves started coming into my hand one at a time <laughs> because one of the things in the game is that you can play multiple of the same cards if you have them and that allows you to reach a certain number that triggers some scoring for you so if you have a lot of different cards you have to choose which one to play and then if you draw the same again and the same again it gets frustrating quickly but again it's such a short game that even if once it goes really poorly for you, you can just jump into the next one. Okay, I'm going to read this to you. The player with the highest point total wins, freeing or keeping the great dragon petrified, depending on whether the winning player was green or red. Have you seen the movie? Yes. I like the naivete of it, but my favorite scene, which is not replicated in the game, is when they shoot the dragon, but the dragon is actually in on it. And it's acting being hit by a giant crossbow. Yes. It's fantastic. The game is really quick and fun. It's in the realm of almost traditional card games. It is not, obviously, but it's not. The cards don't have special effects. They don't have text. They are just numbers that relate to points. And the image tells you how to play them. So it's a very straightforward system. And one of the really like. Yeah, I really like it too. I feel like it's very simple and easy to teach to people and yet has a lot of fun elements to it, like you mentioned. Coming to my number one, a short reflection. I knew that this would have been my number one immediately as we decided to play card games. It was not even a question. But in general, one topic that we haven't touched into player card games is that most collectible card games are two players, or at least intended mainly for two players. Take, for example, Magic the Gathering, you can play it with more, but the standard is two players. And I think that's because it controls, as I was saying before, the design space. Your collectible card games have a giant pool of cards, often for the popular ones, ever-expanding, with a lot of interactions, a lot of special effects, a lot of interlocking mechanisms, to the point that expanding that to more than two players would be very difficult. So containing it to two players mainly, it enhances the experience for the designer and for the users. 
to the point that some that were built in theory to be more than two players. It's the case, for example, with the Game of Thrones LCG by Fantasy Flight that was previously published by someone else, which I think was intended to be mostly a four-player game and it had a two-player version, but the competitive version and therefore the one that people play the most is strictly the two-player version. And there are a lot that deserve to be mentioned. I know you play a lot of Magic the Gathering, but Pokemon is very popular. I never played Yu-Gi-Oh, but I know you did. And then there are the less popular than that, but still had some success. Warhammer Invasion went on for a while. I was for a short time a fan of Warhammer Conquest LCG, which I never bought into, luckily, because it died after the IP got in trouble. But for me, the one that I cherish the most, the one that I have collected completely does now come to an end after a six-year run, I think, is Star Wars LCG. If people have heard me talk about this, and if people have known me over the last few years, they would probably not be surprised because it's a Star Wars game. But actually, it's the other way around. When we started playing this game, I was a fan of Star Wars, meaning I had seen the movies and I had liked them. I knew it as anyone else. By starting to play this game and getting in 2011 absolutely enamored with it, I started getting into knowing the characters, reading the comic books, watching the cartoons, and all of that. That now someone who knows me probably is not surprised to see a Star Wars card game up in my system. But the reason is the opposite. You have played this a couple of times, right? Yes, I'm really bad at it. I lose tragically to you every time. Well, to be fair, it is my most played game and is one of those games where there is so much information on the cards that having played it a lot is a clear advantage, like most of these collectible card games. But what makes Star Wars shine compared for me to Game of Thrones or Magic the Gathering or others that are clearly more popular, more critically acclaimed with the public is that the base mechanism is very complex. So if you take, for example, Magic the Gathering, the complexity comes from the interaction of the specific cards. But the basic rules that are common to all cards are quite simple. You play a card that gives you a resource and you use that temporary resource to play usually creatures that stay in play, although you can play a bunch of other things. And I know that some decks don't even use creatures, but then those creatures have an attack and a defense that are compared to see who kills what. And then on top of that, you build a very complex game. Star Wars starts with a higher complexity, which also makes it less accessible and therefore I think less successful. For example, resources, they are not accumulated, but they are not gone immediately. You have cards that can give you more resources, but then they are locked down for a few turns. You have different avenue of damaging other units. You have objectives that you need to damage that that you damage with different icons. When you fight, it's a back and forth of initiative with a mini game. Cards are used in different ways because they're used for their strength as creatures or events or whatever, but they also use as a currency to pay in an edge battle. So you have to decide to gain the initiative in a fight, whether you want to sacrifice your big cards, but then you won't be able to play them later. But the most amazing thing, I think, in a card game is that you draw back to your hand limit at the beginning of a turn. So the importance of card advantage becomes drastically less relevant than in other games. And that opens up the design space in a great way. The last thing that I really like 
is that compared to other collectible card games, it has an original drafting system where you draft in blocks um, and that you didn't experience because we played with decks that I had already prepared, but it's unique. And also is while I might like other games more than Magic the Gathering, this is the only one that can stand up to Magic the Gathering and say, I'm very different because other games, they change interaction, they change the theme, but it's still a, I play my stuff, I attack you, do you defend or not? What do you defend or not? And there is one attack a turn and I'm attacking you. While this, you have different avenues of attacks. You can do different attacks in the same round. There are these objectives. You're never attacking the opponent. And on top of that, it's asymmetrical because the winning condition for the two sides are extremely distinct. And so I love it. I have played it a lot of times, which makes no surprise. People who play collectible card games regularly played thousands and thousands of games of them. I am not at that level, but I really, really love it. I've played it hundreds of times. And even now that is a dead game, meaning it doesn't evolve, I we love it and we play it all the times. I remember enjoying my experience with it, even though I didn't really do well. <laughs> but I do remember that it is a lot of fun trying to sort of puzzle out how you want to best use what you have in that moment. What is your number one? My number one is Fox in the Forest by Joshua Burgell from Renegade Game Studios. I love trick-taking games. I think that they're a lot of fun. Some of my favorite trick-taking games are going to be like Potato Man, Chronicle. There are a lot of different ones that are a lot of fun, but Fox in the Forest is up there for me for my favorite because my player count is typically two. The Fox in the Forest is a two-player trick-taking game, which is a lot of fun. I like it because you're trying to win the different tricks, but then you want to get a specific number of tricks won or not won. So it's fun to have this dynamic where you think, oh, I can't win any of these tricks, and then you start winning them, and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to try and win the tricks, but I only want to win x amount more to get the most points it is a little bit more complex because well not every card but many the majority of the cards yeah do something different i remember that some of them let you exchange a card with a card in the pile or they let you change the victory for that specific trick and things like that which is actually i'm so glad that you picked this because it was in my list it's one of the few trick-taking games that i like for me it's the opposite i don't generally like the type of game although i do like the ones the few that you mentioned but specifically because they do something different and when i heard about the fox in the forest and it was a trick-taking game even with used to two players i was like very skeptical and it worked like a charm. Obviously, I'm not very good at it because I'm not good with trick-taking games, but it was very, very fun. And it has a pleasant feeling, but at the same time, it's very deep. Maybe it's not deep in the singular hand, obviously, because it's a trick-taking, but the fact that you are beholden to not winning too many tricks, so you have to win some because otherwise you don't score, but then you have to quickly pivot if you realize that the other player is feeding you wins to make you bust that's a great great mechanism yeah that's my favorite part of the game because it's fun to see like you're winning all these tricks oh well you think <laughs> you think that you're winning them because you're winning them no you're winning them because i'm 
helping you to win them because I don't want to win anymore. It's a lot of fun to get one past your opponent and to see the realization on their face that they are not going to score any points this round. And what did you say was the designer on this? Joshua Burgell. Sounds familiar because I was thinking that Star Wars LCG, no surprise, I like it. It's by Lang. I had forgotten. It seems like it's the only game by him I have played. The other one is Hocus, which I haven't played. Interesting. But I'm referring, obviously, to Bugal. They released a new form of that game, which I haven't played, but I would be interested to try. I would say it's one of my favorite two-player games, Fox in the Forest, but they released a cooperative version? Yes, although I have a problem with the title. It's called the Fox in the Forest Duet. Wasn't it the duet before? Oh, duet because you go together. Okay. A trick-taking cooperative game, though? Why? I don't know. I mean, they, they took the trick-taking. They made it two players, and now it needs to be co-op. Okay, sure. I'm not excited, but I wasn't excited about Fox in the Forest, and then I ended up liking it a lot, so you never know. I will probably get it and let you know how it is. It looks nice. The art is nice. Interestingly enough, the designer is not involved. No, I saw that. I was like, oh, that's different. Yeah, so just to round this discussion up, a few things that didn't make, the cut for me mostly because the games I went to were probably a little larger, but felt as a very nice two-player card game, which is Roma. You roll a few dice, you use them to activate a few cards, and it can play uh, very shortly, but it can get into a war of attrition and get a little longer than you need. And Jaipur, which we mentioned last time, was also a very solid two-player game. And Flash Duel, which builds on Angard by Nizia and is basically a fighting game. All of these were very good. And I went with games that are two-player games and they are also very large and heavy. I noticed that you didn't include Magic among your top three. Was that because you consider it something different or was it you don't like it as much as the others? For me, I think collectible card games are their own thing. When I think of like standard board games, I don't think of collectible card games as being in the same category, mostly because of everything that surrounds them. Tournaments and drafting and multi-releases for different expansion sets, I feel like they are their own entity. I do really enjoy magic but it's again magic is not something that i play very often but i do enjoy it when i play it so that's why it wouldn't be up there for me yeah and i do understand that's what i was wondering because that's what i was saying about things like fox and the forest and flesh duel even roma it's a little hard to compete not so much with seven wonders duel which is comparable it's a one shot contained game and i like it more but with things like star wars which has namely 60 or so or, or more no probably more expansions because being a collectible card game it went on for six years publishing little boxes but even summoner wars which is not technically a collectible card game it had fixed expansions and that was it but still it has 16 factions it's a little unfair maybe to compare it to the others but i didn't know how to draw the line because then what do you do of games like Elysium which I don't particularly like but that come in the box with a bunch of different decks and so yeah it was a hard choice but I do realize why you separated those all right well I think that brings us to the end of our episode indeed thank you so much for listening 
if you liked our podcast, please like, follow, subscribe, share on anywhere that you find this. We really appreciate it. You can also follow us on Instagram or find us on Facebook by searching for Bergen Gambit. And you can reach us there through Facebook Messenger or on Gmail at BoardGameGambit all together at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for considering sharing it. We welcome feedback. We welcome questions and comments. We have answered some of them already, but we are also always interested in hearing more from what you think and what your favorite games are. Thank you for listening. I am Jackie. And I'm Nathan. Goodbye. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Goodbye.